Book Nine, Part Two of Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea, translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. Book Nine, Part Two, Chapters Nine through Eleven. Chapter 9. The Victory of the God-Beloved Emperors Thus, when Constantine, whom we have already mentioned as an emperor, born of an emperor, a pious son of a most pious and prudent father, and Licinius second to him, two God-Beloved Emperors, honored alike for their intelligence and their piety, being stirred up against the two most impious tyrants by God, the absolute ruler and savior of all, engaged in formal war against them, with God as their ally, Maxentius was defeated at Rome by Constantine in a remarkable manner, and the tyrant of the East did not long survive him, but met a most shameful death at the hand of Licinius, who had not yet become insane. Constantine, who was the superior both in dignity and imperial rank, first took compassion upon those who were oppressed at Rome, and having invoked in prayer the God of heaven, and his word, and Jesus Christ himself, the Saviour of all, as his aid, advanced with his whole army, proposing to restore to the Romans their ancestral liberty. But Maxentius, putting confidence rather in the arts of sorcery than in the devotion of his subjects, did not dare to go forth beyond the gates of the city, but fortified every place and district and town which was enslaved by him, in the neighborhood of Rome and in all Italy, with an immense multitude of troops and with innumerable bands of soldiers. But the emperor, relying upon the assistance of God, attacked the first, second, and third army of the tyrant, and conquered them all, and having advanced through the greater part of Italy, was already very near Rome. Then, that he might not be compelled to wage war with the Romans for the sake of the tyrant, God himself drew the latter, as if bound in chains, some distance without the gates, and confirmed those threats against the impious which had been anciently inscribed in sacred books, disbelieved indeed by most as a myth, but believed by the faithful, confirmed them in a word by the deed itself to all, both believers and unbelievers, that saw the wonder with their eyes. Thus, as in the time of Moses himself and of the ancient God-beloved race of Hebrews, he cast Pharaoh's chariots and host into the sea, and overwhelmed his chosen charioteers in the Red Sea, and covered them with the flood. In the same way Maxentius also with his soldiers and bodyguards went down into the depths like a stone, when he fled before the power of God which was with Constantine, and passed through the river which lay in his way, over which he had formed a bridge with boats, and thus prepared the means of his own destruction. In regard to him one might say, he digged a pit and opened it and fell into the hole which he had made, his labor shall turn upon his own head, and his unrighteousness shall fall upon his own crown. Thus, then, the bridge over the river being broken, the passageway settled down, and immediately the boats with the men disappeared in the depths, and that most impious one himself first of all, then the shield-bearers who were with him, as the divine oracles foretold, sank like lead in the mighty waters, 
so that those who obtained the victory from god if not in words at least in deeds like moses the great servant of god and those who were with him fittingly sang as they had sung against the impious tyrant of old saying let us sing unto the lord for he hath gloriously glorified himself horse and rider hath he thrown into the sea a helper and a protector hath he become for my salvation and who is like unto thee o lord among the gods who is like unto thee glorious in holiness marvellous in glory doing wonders these and the like praises constantine by his very deeds sang to god the universal ruler and author of his victory as he entered rome in triumph immediately all the members of the senate and the other most celebrated men with the whole roman people together with children and women received him as their deliverer their saviour and their benefactor with shining eyes and with their whole souls with shouts of gladness and unbounded joy but he as one possessed of inborn piety toward god did not exult in the shouts nor was he elated by the praises but perceiving that his aid was from god he immediately commanded that a trophy of the saviour's passion be put in the hand of his own statue and when he had placed it with the saving sign of the cross in its right hand in the most public place in rome he commanded that the following inscription should be engraved upon it in the roman tongue by this salutary sign the true proof of bravery i have saved and freed your city from the yoke of the tyrant and moreover having set at liberty both the senate and the people of rome i have restored them to their ancient distinction and splendor and after this both constantine himself and with him the emperor licinius who had not yet been seized by that madness into which he later fell praising god as the author of all their blessings with one will and mind drew up a full and most complete decree in behalf of the christians and sent an account of the wonderful things done for them by god and of the victory over the tyrant together with a copy of the decree itself to maximinus who still ruled over the nations of the east and pretended friendship toward them but he like a tyrant was greatly pained by what he learned but not wishing to seem to yield to others nor on the other hand to suppress that which was commanded for fear of those who enjoined it as if on his own authority he addressed under compulsion to the governors under him this first communication in behalf of the christians falsely inventing things against himself which had never been done by him copy of a translation of the epistle of the tyrant maximinus jovius maximinus augustus to sabinus i am confident that it is manifest both to thy firmness and to all men that our masters diocletian and maximianus our fathers when they saw almost all men abandoning the worship of the gods and attaching themselves to the party of the christians rightly decreed that all who gave up the worship of those same immortal gods should be recalled by open chastisement and punishment to the worship of the gods but when i first came to the east under favorable auspices and learned that in some places a great many men who were able to render public service had been banished by the judges for the above-mentioned cause i gave command to each of the judges that henceforth none of them should treat the provincials with severity but that they should rather recall them to the worship of the gods by flattery and exhortations 
Then when, in accordance with my command, these orders were obeyed by the judges, it came to pass that none of those who lived in the districts of the east were banished or insulted, but that they were rather brought back to the worship of the gods by the fact that no severity was employed toward them. But afterwards, when I went up last year under good auspices to Nicomedia and sojourned there, citizens of the same city came to me with the images of the gods, earnestly entreating that such a people should by no means be permitted to dwell in their country. But when I learned that many men of the same religion dwelt in those regions, I replied that I gladly thanked them for their request, but that I perceived that it was not proffered by all, and that if, therefore, there were any that persevered in the same superstition, each one had the privilege of doing as he pleased, even if he wished to recognize the worship of the gods. Nevertheless, I considered it necessary to give a friendly answer to the inhabitants of Nicomedia, and to the other cities which had so earnestly presented to me the same petition, namely, that no Christians should dwell in their cities, both because this same course had been pursued by all the ancient emperors, and also because it was pleasing to the gods, through whom all men and the government of the state itself endure, and to confirm the request which they presented in behalf of the worship of their deity. Therefore, although before this time special letters have been sent to thy devotedness, and commands have likewise been given that no harsh measures should be taken against those provincials who desire to follow such a course, but that they should be treated mildly and moderately, nevertheless, in order that they may not suffer insults or extortions from the beneficiaries, or from any others, I have thought meet to remind thy firmness in this epistle also that thou shouldst lead our provincials rather by flatteries and exhortations to recognize the care of the gods. Hence, if any one of his own choice should decide to adopt the worship of the gods, it is fitting that he should be welcomed, but if any should wish to follow their own religion, do thou leave it in their power. Wherefore it behooves thy devotedness to observe that which is committed to thee, and to see that power is given to no one to oppress our provincials with insults and extortions, since, as already written, it is fitting to recall our provincials to the worship of the gods rather by exhortations and flatteries. But in order that this command of ours may come to the knowledge of all our provincials, it is incumbent upon thee to proclaim that which has been enjoined in an edict issued by thyself. Since he was forced to do this by necessity, and did not give the command by his own will, he was not regarded by any one as sincere or trustworthy, because he had already shown his unstable and deceitful disposition after his former similar concession. None of our people, therefore, ventured to hold meetings or even to appear in public, because his communication did not cover this, but only commanded to guard against doing us any injury, and did not give orders that we should hold meetings or build churches or perform any of our customary acts. And yet Constantine and Licinius, the advocates of peace and piety, had written him to permit this, and had granted it to all their subjects by edicts and ordinances. But this most impious man did not choose to yield in this matter until, being driven by the divine judgment, he was at last compelled to do it against his will. Chapter 10. The Overthrow of the Tyrants and the Words Which They Uttered Before Their Death The circumstances which drove him to this course were the following. 
being no longer able to sustain the magnitude of the government which had been undeservedly committed to him in consequence of his want of prudence and imperial understanding he managed affairs in a base manner and with his mind unreasonably exalted in all things with boastful pride even toward his colleagues in the empire who were every respect his superiors in birth in training in education in worth and intelligence and greatest of all in temperance and piety toward the true god he began to venture to act audaciously and to arrogate to himself the first rank becoming mad in his folly he broke the treaties which he had made with licinius and undertook an implacable war then in a brief time he threw all things into confusion and stirred up every city and having collected his entire force comprising an immense number of soldiers he went forth to battle with him elated by his hopes in demons whom he supposed to be gods and by the number of his soldiers and when he joined battle he was deprived of the oversight of god and the victory was given to licinius who was then ruling by the one and only god of all first the army in which he trusted was destroyed and as all his guards abandoned him and left him alone and fled to the victor he secretly divested himself as quickly as possible of the imperial garments which did not fitly belong to him and in a cowardly and ignoble and unmanly way mingled with the crowd and then fled concealing himself in fields and villages but though he was so careful for his safety he scarcely escaped the hands of his enemies revealing by his deeds that the divine oracles are faithful and true in which it is said a king is not saved by a great force and a giant shall not be saved by the greatness of his strength a horse is a vain thing for safety nor shall he be delivered by the greatness of his power behold the eyes of the lord are upon them that fear him upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their souls from death thus the tyrant covered with shame went to his own country and first in frantic rage he slew many priests and prophets of the gods whom he had formerly admired and whose oracles had incited him to undertake the war as sorcerers and impostors and besides all as betrayers of his safety then having given glory to the god of the christians and enacted a most full and complete ordinance in behalf of their liberty he was immediately seized with a mortal disease and no respite being granted him departed this life the law enacted by him was as follows copy of the edict of the tyrant in behalf of the christians translated from the roman tongue the emperor caesar caius valerius maximinus germanicus sarmaticus pius felix invictus augustus we believe it manifest that no one is ignorant but that every man who looks back over the past and knows and is conscious that in every way we care continually for the good of our provincials and wish to furnish them with those things which are of especial advantage to all and for the common benefit and profit and whatever contributes to the public welfare and is agreeable to the views of each when therefore before this it became clear to our mind that under pretext of the command of our parents the most divine diocletian and maximianus which enjoined that the meetings of the christians should be abolished many extortions and spoliations had been practised by officials 
and that those evils were continually increasing to the detriment of our provincials toward whom we are especially anxious to exercise proper care and that their possessions were in consequence perishing letters were sent last year to the governors of each province in which we decreed that if any one wished to follow such a practice or to observe this same religion he should be permitted without hindrance to pursue his purpose and should be impeded and prevented by no one and that all should have liberty to do without any fear or suspicion that which each preferred but even now we cannot help perceiving that some of the judges have mistaken our commands and have given our people reason to doubt the meaning of our ordinances and have caused them to proceed too reluctantly to the observance of those religious rites which are pleasing to them in order therefore that in the future every suspicion of fearful doubt may be taken away we have commanded that this decree be published so that it may be clear to all that whoever wishes to embrace this sect and religion is permitted to do so by virtue of this grant of ours and that each one as he wishes or as is pleasing to him is permitted to practice this religion which he has chosen to observe according to his custom it is also granted them to build lords houses but that this grant of ours may be the greater we have thought good to decree also that if any houses and lands before this time rightfully belonged to the christians and by the command of our parents fell into the treasury or were confiscated by any city whether they have been sold or presented to any one as a gift that all these should be restored to their original possessors the christians in order that in this also every one may have knowledge of our piety and care these are the words of the tyrant which were published not quite a year after the decrees against the christians engraved by him on pillars and by him to whom a little before we seemed impious wretches and atheists and destroyers of all life so that we were not permitted to dwell in any city nor even in country or desert by him decrees and ordinances were issued in behalf of the christians and they who recently had been destroyed by fire and sword by wild beasts and birds of prey in the presence of the tyrant himself and had suffered every species of torture and punishment and most miserable deaths as atheists and impious wretches were now acknowledged by him as possessors of religion and were permitted to build churches and the tyrant himself bore witness and confessed that they had some rights and having made such confessions as if he had received some benefit on account of them he suffered perhaps less than he ought to have suffered and being smitten by a sudden scourge of god he perished in the second campaign of the war but his end was not like that of military chieftains who while fighting bravely in battle for virtue and friends often boldly encounter a glorious death for like an impious enemy of god while his army was still drawn up in the field remaining at home and concealing himself he suffered the punishment which he deserved for he was smitten with a sudden scourge of god in his whole body and harassed by terrible pains and torments he fell prostrate on the ground wasted by hunger while all his flesh was dissolved by an invisible and god-sent fire so that the whole appearance of his frame was changed and there was left only a kind of image wasted away by length of time to a skeleton of dry bones so that those who were present could think of his body as nothing else than the tomb of his soul which was buried in a body already dead and completely melted away 
and as the heat still more violently consumed him in the depths of his marrow, his eyes burst forth, and falling from their sockets left him blind. Thereupon still breathing and making free confession to the Lord, he invoked death, and at last, after acknowledging that he justly suffered these things on account of his violence against Christ, he gave up the ghost. Chapter 11 The Final Destruction of the Enemies of Religion Thus when Maximinus, who alone had remained of the enemies of religion and had appeared the worst of them all, was put out of the way, the renovation of the churches from their foundations was begun by the grace of God the ruler of all, and the word of Christ, shining unto the glory of the God of the universe, obtained greater freedom than before, while the impious enemies of religion were covered with extremest shame and dishonor. For Maximinus himself, being first pronounced by the emperors a common enemy, was declared by public proclamations to be a most impious, execrable, and God-hating tyrant, and of the portraits which had been set up in every city in honor of him or of his children, some were thrown down from their places to the ground and torn in pieces, while the faces of others were obliterated by daubing them with black paint and the statues which had been erected to his honor were likewise overthrown and broken, and lay exposed to the laughter and sport of those who wished to insult and abuse them. Then also all the honors of the other enemies of religion were taken away, and all those who sided with Maximinus were slain, especially those who had been honored by him with high offices in reward for their flattery, and had behaved insolently toward our doctrine such an one was pusetius the dearest of his companions who had been honored and rewarded by him above all who had been consul a second and third time and had been appointed by him chief minister and culcianus who had likewise advanced through every grade of office and was also celebrated for his numberless executions of christians in egypt and besides these not a few others, by whose agency especially the tyranny of Maximinus had been confirmed and extended. And Theotechnus also was summoned by justice which by no means overlooked his deeds against the Christians, for when the statue had been set up by him at Antioch, he appeared to be in the happiest state, and was already made a governor by Maximinus. But Licinius, coming down to the city of Antioch, made a search for impostors, and tortured the prophets and priests of the newly erected statue, asking them for what reason they practiced their deception. They, under the stress of torture, were unable longer to conceal the matter, and declared that the whole deceptive mystery had been devised by the art of Theotechnus. Therefore, after meting out to all of them just judgment, he first put Theotechnus himself to death, and then his confederates in the imposture, with the severest possible tortures. To all these were added also the children of Maximinus, whom he had already made sharers in the imperial dignity by placing their names on tablets and statues, and the relatives of the tyrant, who before had been boastful and had in their pride oppressed all men, suffered the same punishments with those who have been already mentioned, as well as the extremest disgrace, for they had not received instruction neither did they know and understand the exhortation given in the holy word put not your trust in princes nor in the sons of men in whom there is no salvation his spirit shall go forth and return to his earth in that day all their thoughts perish
the impious ones having been thus removed the government was preserved firm and undisputed for constantine and licinius to whom it fittingly belonged they having first of all cleansed the world of hostility to the divine being conscious of the benefits which he had conferred upon them showed their love of virtue and of god and their piety and gratitude to the deity by their ordinance in behalf of the christians end of book nine part two